Here we are yet again. It's now time to join the War Journal one more time. Actually, it's going to be a few more times. But now we're going to do two episodes in one because we deserve it. And welcome. And you know me. But you do you remember those other guys? Yeah, the broken guys. Well, I'm broken too. So here we have Devin Higgins. Spoiler alert. Did you guys see the moose? Mm, no, that's that's hidden stuff. Eric Scott. It's so nice to see a TV psychiatrist who's not obsessed with their patients. Mm, true. Sean Shibley. You know, every time I hire an elite hit squad, I back them up with an army of hicks. Ooh, true. It's good. It's good ammo. Jason Johnson. What's with the new crazy Mo's? That's true. I just wish they'd let me be what I want me to be. So we got two, like, summaries to go through because we're going to do two episodes, Fight or Flight and Trouble in the Water, which really basically is one episode, one super episode combined, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Who's taking this on? Well, I took the last one, so, I mean, if, if you need me to double dip, I'll do it again. I nominate Sean. Okay, I can do that. All right. So, episode two begins where episode one left off. Um, Castle and the girl who calls herself Rachel are in a, uh, you know, are running away from the assassins who attacked them at the bar. Um, After successfully dropping off the bartender lady into the hospital, they go off on their own. They eventually find themselves at a hotel where Rachel goes in and has a rather mundane disagreement with the clerk to get, like, which day is which day to get them to, uh, get their hotel rates. Um, all the while Frank is strategizing, he ends up tying Rachel to a bed to get a good night's sleep, which, honestly, if you see the interactions, you can't really blame him. And then, um, after that, he rents the room opposite of where they are in order to set a trap for the oncoming assassins. He successfully does so and uh, kills most of them ending up in a firefight with uh, the like the last few of them the leader survives everyone else dies and they get taken away by police meanwhile uh, Madani is standing her vigil for Billy um, completely unconvinced that he has any redeeming qualities whatsoever, starts to run afoul of uh, his therapist, who, regardless of what she calls herself, is actually Dr. Harleen Quinzel. She may fool you into thinking, thinking she's some Marvel character, but that's some, some straight-up Harley Quinn nonsense. Um... The second episode ends with Frank in 
custody in a small town jail, calling Madani for backup and Madani refusing. Which leads us to the battle episode in episode uh, three, where Frank is held you know, captive along with the leader of the hit squad. Both of them know a storm's coming. And, uh... Um... There's a lot of time talking. Um, the sheriff seems to have his wits about him. He's a great character. It's really sad that he's a single-episode character. Um, he has, um... A couple deputy Deweys on his side. Um, he figures out that, like, you know, the leader has all sorts of hits on her um, record, and Frank's completely clean, which makes him even more suspicious. Um, uh, John Pilgrim eventually comes in, posing as a police officer, and then quickly drops the front when he comes out with his army of Hicks to back up the army, uh, uh, the squad of assassins he sent in before. Um, Frank begs to be allowed to fight them. The first wave hits. One of the police officers is shot. Eventually, Frank slid off the leash and does what Frank does. Um, meanwhile, uh, Billy escapes from the hospital, um, not necessarily with the help of his psychiatrist, but not necessarily without it. Um, Madani goes on the warpath, and then comes, picks up Frank, because he's going to send um, the tiger in to kill the fly. She's going to send the tiger in to kill the fly, and it ends with Rachel, Madani, and Frank on their way to New York. Pretty solid, though I would say John Pilgrim does not. <clears throat> you said he he was he was uh playing a role of a cop when he's actually wearing a collar, which I found to be extremely weird. We got a little bit of background on him, but I'm still I'm I'm very unimpressed with John Pilgrim. Yeah, but he and the fat guy come in pretending to be like state police. That's true. Well, actually, I think the the guy that comes in with him is actual state police that he's on the take. That was the impression I got, but that whole sequence seemed really ham-fisted and poorly executed, but I know we'll get to that further down the line. Yeah, let's, let's, let's break down with a little likes, dislikes, and things that need to be talked about. Well, I like the, uh, the intro to episode two... In so far that we, you know, we have the direct continuation of the fight at the bar and the outcome of that with Rachel and Frank finding a place to hide, at least temporarily, and then seeing how Frank is dealing with the fact that he got caught in the in that scrum. And we had a little bit of humor of it as far as the meatball surgery on Frank, Frank's behind. Uh... I'm sure that had to make an interesting day of filming for John Bernthal with his pants halfway down his butt. Yeah, I just need to bring this bring this up a little bit. And this comes back to, I'm looking at, <clears throat> whenever Rambo 2 came out, 
Uh, I think this was when I was first introduced to self-surgery and the gunpowder in the in the wound. No, it was Rambo 3. That was when he fought the uh the 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 Russian helicopter. Yep. Okay. Um do we all like this? Well, the, I could do every, without the, it. The, 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 every show Frank gets gets wounded and then has to help, you know, has to heal himself or fix yes. himself. Yes. Yes. I mean, I guess it's tropey. I like to see him go through one episode without getting shot. That might be good. Um, so the Rambo gunpowder cauterizing a wound that strikes yes. me as very far fetched. Oh, it's Rambo. I'm, 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 I'm fully willing to to say okay. yes. Yeah, but like okay. I wouldn't buy that in a semi-realistic show like Punisher, right? In Rambo, sure, whatever. Right. But having a 20-year-old sew up a wound from a ricochet. Okay. Right? After cleaning it with alcohol, doesn't strike me... Like, he wasn't extracting a bullet. Oh, I mean, I guess uh, Frank did, but they weren't, like, doing real surgery. They were pulling something out and cleaning it up, right? She did wash her hands. Yeah. I mean, I have literally done that to myself on more than one occasion. It's not that hard. Where do we go from there? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you think about it, it's everything we see in in Punisher is I mean, it's all trubbish to a certain extent. And and again, this is to your point, Moe, nothing we haven't seen before. I mean, I remember going back to the original First Blood and seeing where it wasn't even a, a, a bullet wound, but where, you know, he's got to patch himself up after basically gashing his arm open. Um, you know, with the whole idea of soldiers being self-sufficient and dealing with battle conditions and things like that, it's par for the course at this stage. Um, you know, I found more of the the slight bit of humor in it mm-hmm. of all the places for Frank to get shot. Yeah. <laughs> he takes one in the ass yeah. and leaves it to have to deal with it. And as soon as he's done, he's like, all right, I'm going to sleep now. It's like, okay, good luck with that. I, I think at this point, though, we've seen enough of Frank being self-sufficient that we could, you know, just kind of assume that he is at this point. Um, the, the What I'm thinking is maybe that there's going to be a callback or a, a reason uh, to to have her be the one to do it later in the season, right? That, that If they're going to make use of this scene and spend this much time on it, it makes sense for her to have to call back this this type of activity later in the season. Well, that's the whole point of getting him shot in the ass, right? Like, that's a bonding moment, because if he was shot in the leg or the arm, he'd do it himself. And if he was shot in the chest, it would be something else entirely different, because then we'd be looking at Rachel thinking, okay, how is she going to pull this out mm-hmm. if Frank is somehow incapacitated? But uh, a a low-risk shot like that is something entirely different. As an aside, did anybody else wish that Frank had gone in first and just either blew away the front desk lady or just did something to get her out of the picture? Cause I mean, she was after, annoying, but I, she I, wasn't criminal. Yeah, I mean, I, I I liked her character. I mean, she's in a you know middle of nowhere hotel off season. She did everything she could to wring as much money as possible to make money for her mm-hmm. business. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, props to her for that. Yeah, I mean, we have basically grifter-on-grifter action here where Rachel's trying to pull a fast one on her and then she comes back and basically, yes, I'm not having any of it. 
And then later on, when Frank's dealing with her to get the second room, it was like, okay. Yeah, I thought it was weird, but like it was, it was somewhat like, you know, pay, take this with a grain of salt. I found it semi-realistic that he was having that kind of argument. Plus, having him go in there the first time with a completely bloody face would be an, you know, slightly, it's, it's a problem. You know, having blood all over your face. Now, I will tell you, the one thing I did have took, I mean, this is hyper, hyperbolic, but like that the blood stayed red that long is odd to me. I, I would have thought it would have been kind of dried and crusty at that point, but that's just me. Well, and even when she, when Rachel goes in to pay for the room and there's blood all over the money yeah, and yeah, she yeah. reacted to it, it was like, what the hell? What what am I getting myself I into here? I wouldn't have here? taken that money. That's me. Or at least called the police or something, because, like, why the hell is this money covered in blood? Something's yeah. not right here. No, that's fine. I'll take your money. Thanks a lot. Here's your room key. Good night. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, having been around enough cheap hotels in the last three or four years in my travels, yeah, that is not an uncommon event where you have somebody who tries to grift you for as much as they can just so you can get a place to sleep for the night. Uh, I wasn't expecting to see Madani. It does that. Well, how so? Uh, I, I don't know. I just, there's something about, I thought Madani was more relative to the first season. I wasn't expecting her to still be a part of the, um, the Billy Russo plot line. I don't know why. Don't, I mean. It's just one of those things I expected certain characters to fall off and we knew Billy was coming back. You know, that was that was in the first episode. And to have Madani there, it just I was like, that's interesting that you're gonna keep Madani, but and I've been looking ahead a little bit, that that uh microchip is not gonna be in. I was like, that sucks. But I, I'm 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 you know, that's that's my own beef, but you know, it's very interesting to see Madani straight up kind of being a little bit of not psycho, you know, in regards to Billy, but I just wasn't expecting it. Well, well, they're both damaged. Yeah. That's the thing is that and, and I like how Madani's been presented so far more than Russo has, uh, because when you see her there, I think her thing is that she is looking for. I don't know if I want to say it's closure, but I think it's the satisfaction of knowing that Russo got everything that he had coming to him for what he did to her. Just And also, when, when you give the nature of what their relationship was in the first season, and that it was equal parts personal as well as professional, mm -hmm. to to have that go from there into where she is now, I think the trauma of that is still very, very real. To the point where when Russo asks his therapist what her problem is, and he explains that, she says point blank, well, you you shot her in the head. When she says that you shot somebody in the head, you're the one who shot her in the head. And he's like, oh. You know, it it's the justification for Madani being there is present. I am, like you, curious to see where this is all going to go as far as that thread of this story ends. And, well, and since we're up to it at this point, I'm going to mention probably my biggest gripe so far. Um, I usually don't have a lot of these, but 
the the mask that Billy's wearing throughout these these two episodes. Yep, do it. If if you're trying to to present that he's the therapist is trying to rehab and you're you're trying to make a a good effort to rehabilitate and and uh, fracture you know unfracture his memory, why do you have that person in a hospital room with that mask? I mean, who picked it out? Who gets to decide that he wears that mask? Well, it feels like Vanilla Sky. Like, why are we doing that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess we still don't know like how damaged. I mean, we know kind of what Frank did to him with the the carousel mirror in the last in the last season, but I guess we don't really see. Maybe he's still scarred up. We don't know yet because we haven't seen his face out of his mask yet. Well, we see him a nightmare of the skull. Yeah, and a mask is not a big deal. I don't have a problem with a mask, but why would you pick pick that kind of disturbed looking mask? Why not something that's supposed to be more calming and rehabilitating to the patient? I believe that was probably an art project that he did with his psychologist. Yeah, he was colored in himself. But something I really kind of like is kind of the inversion of themes with the Punisher, right? So in every in every other like hero story, right? The hero faces the villain and refuses to kill him, right? We got the Luke Skywalker at the end of Return of the Jedi thing, right? And in this case, the Punisher does not kill Billy, even though he's the freaking Punisher, and it ends to nothing mm-hmm. but trouble. <laughs> like, everyone agrees the Punisher should have just killed Billy. You know, it's funny, I thought about that, when, especially when Billy was talking to his psychologist about Frank, and he said, he's my brother, and I have to... I mean, based on the information that's been presented from season one, that Frank thought the exact same thing. And for Frank to go to that level of just beating the the absolute hell out of um, Billy and doing that to him, you know, I, 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 I tried to put myself in Frank's shoes, which is not easy to do. And it's like... The person that you are closest to and you love like a brother. And I can't kill you, but I'm going to, you know, just completely mar you and maim you to the fullest extent I, I have. It, you know, that it's like I'm not going to kill you, but I am going to hurt you because you hurt me. I, I don't know how to weigh that. Well, speaking from personal experience... My own blood brother did betray me quite badly at one point. That ended very poorly, and I can totally understand where Frank was coming from. Well, you also have to juxtapose the idea of, like Sean was saying, for a guy whose M.O. is maximum body count in everything he does, to have somebody who was that close to him personally and was that simpatico with him to not take that route and to make him have to live with it seems far more brutal in its the administration of punishment than to just kill him. Yep. Okay. All right. I'm with, I'm with you. I, I like it. Just, it, it just, I don't know where to sit with it. So that's, I mean, just the conversation about this is good. You're well, hearing- and to take a slightly different tangent on it, to it, it goes back to one of my favorite lines from a totally 
different movie, which is Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, where you have a similar dynamic and Khan says to Kirk, I've hurt you. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. Mm, mm, mm. Because his whole purpose is to say, I'm going to leave you as you left me, which means now you get to understand what my pain is. You get to have that be grafted onto you as it was given to me. He vexes me. And, and w- <laughs> one of the interesting things I also had that's kind of in that same vein is the fact that while awake, Billy remembers Frank as his brother, right? That's, that's exactly what he said. But in his nightmares, the, the Punisher skull is what haunts him. So yeah, he's got the dichotomy cool. of the same person being his nightmare and his brother. But you know right, what you guys at this don't point, realize? He can't put the two together. You know what you guys Shoot. don't realize? This is SETI Alpha 5! Right. Reference acknowledged, I got you. Anywho. So, getting back to Madani, though, I do like how there's a line that she gives when she's talking with the therapist that I found probably the most striking that she's had so far, where the therapist, and, and I'd be curious to see what your guys' input on her is, but where Madani says to her, you know, he's the best liar I've ever known, and I deal with liars all the time. Yeah. That, se- that seemed very telling of both her, her place as a character right now, as opposed to where she was when we first met her in season one, mm-hmm. and also the idea of where she might be going before this season is over. Well, I mean, I think the biggest, my biggest hurdle is, is she correct? Is Russo playing a long con? And that's, I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I kind of prefer that he is doing the long con rather than completely new character. Except I'm, I'm kind of pulled in another way. Like, you know, good villains are kind of jacked up and broken out. And so maybe Billy really isn't Billy anymore. And I, I, and I don't know where it lies, but I can tell you a trope that I thought was going to happen that didn't happen was that I thought this, the psychologist was going to be somehow, you know, in love with him. That I, I expected with the, the shirt that she was wearing and her hair, the way it was all bunned up, I expected the shirt to get unbuttoned and the hair to come down, which didn't happen, which I was happy about. See, in the opposite of that was there was something else I was thinking of where because there there's definitely that trope. Yes. Okay. But also there is the idea of a pay, of a doctor in that position who utilizes patients for an ulterior motive. Mm. I was thinking it could have gone either way. So yeah, she seems a little little like kind of I don't know, like not too into him, but she's a little, little more. She's not interest, not into interested him. or obsessed than just like a normal doctor patient at least. It's on the surface so far. She's a- so, I think part of the problem is Madani honestly doesn't care if Billy remembers or not. She sees Billy as a monster. Okay. And no matter how you cut it, a monster let loose is a monster. Right? 
She's seen Billy's through colors, and nothing else matters to her. But if the monster doesn't know that he's a monster... Rabid dog's still rabid, my friend. Mm. Yeah, and, and and she's there for a reason. Like she either wants to like let him know that you know she you know either got you know got the best of him or you know he's going to get what what he deserves, and he's acting like he has no idea what's going on, and which further pisses her off. And you know she's just now obsessed basically with Billy that you know she's trying to prove that he knows and it's just fooling everybody, and it's just not working for her. Okay. Right, I can understand your point, Mose, as far as Rousseau. I mean, to this point, especially in the Marvel series. You know, we were talking last week a lot about Fisk and and his motivations and how consistent he was. You know, and and somebody that we overlooked that I for I when when I was thinking about after we finished up was another really good villain that I I really dug in the uh, the Netflix Marvel verse was uh, Jessica Jones uh, Kilgrave, David mm-hmm. Tennant's character. Yeah, because he was he was an unabashed apex predator, and he knew what he was and never shied away from it. And now we have somebody in Russo who is wasn't really as much of a cookie cutter bad guy in season one either. He was just a guy who ran a business and was out to make money. Yeah. And happened to do it by being a merc. Mm-hmm. Now we have him dealing with the consequences of that and the aftermath of it. And yeah, uh, uh, you know, a uh, Leopard doesn't change its spots, but when you have somebody who is that damaged and is trying to figure out what they are again, at least right now, he's still in that protean stage of trying to get back to where he, where his baseline was. So we're looking at a villain in, in its infancy. Or at least a new type of one that, okay. that is, I think. But we come to the fundamental question. Rousseau did what Rousseau did. Right? And is there any coming back from that? And I guess that's what we're going to figure out over the rest of the season. Yeah. Is where does he go? Because after he escapes, we don't see him again for the rest of the episode. So we don't know yet. Well, we, do we, don't, kinda... see him in season, we don't see him in episode three at all. Right. Yeah. Well, we do kind of see him in that Madani brings Frank in, which is, again, trying to get the tiger to kill the fly. I. Well, yeah, I mean, there was no doubt that those two paths were going to cross again. Well, I mean, you kind of... Because there's... Otherwise, otherwise, what's the point of even having Russo in this season? <laughs> if we knew we weren't going to get a, a rap on that, on that conflict, then well, what would and... be the point? And just to clarify, it wasn't wasn't episode or yeah, it wasn't episode three that we see him get his way out of the hospital. That was that it was, was episode all two. Yeah, yeah, that was all episode two. Episode three, Russo's not to be seen. Okay, but now he escapes from the hospital in three. But but you know, it's a little scene. Yeah, okay. but my still my point stands that bringing Franken is the nuclear option. <laughs> like like there are. Many levels of escalation between that and Madani chose to go straight to. Well, well I, I, I don't think I, she, I don't think she chose. It was because Frank called. That was the re- that was the reason that it became a viable option. It became a viable option, but she picked up the fucking helicopter, my dude. Uh, I don't deny that the light speed helicopter or plot speed helicopter worked. <laughs> 
<laughs> the reason I mentioned uh, Frank being in episode three, though, is because that had one of my um, favorite pieces in it and with Billy. And that was the fact that even in front of his doctor, when he was taking his medicine and stuff, he he turned away from her and faced yes. away when he when he took the mask off. He never faced her with the mask. But yet when he left, he left her with the mask to face the world. So. Yeah, what does that mean? Is it an act, or is he really not know who he is yet? I guess I don't know. And how? Or did he realize somewhere in there? Like there, there's there's a question in my mind. And right now, I'm not going to lie to you guys. There's, I I don't know what he looks like. So it makes me very curious how jacked up his face actually is, because I know like he. When he turns away to take the pills, we see kind of a three-quarter back shot of him, mm-hmm. and we see a couple of scars along his cheek and his jawline. Mm-hmm. But we obviously we don't see his full face. He's movie disfigured, right? Kind of like Tyrion Lannister was. Yeah, okay. they can't do what they they can't do reality like well reality like the books or the comic. But it's going to be some degree of disfigurement. But yeah, they're going right. to go all they're going to go all out crazy. On their budget. Yeah, I mean, and again, remember the last time we saw Jigsaw in Warzone, Mm -hmm. they went full movie and totally messed his face up. I don't know if we're going to get that degree or or not. Um, Yeah, I don't think they're going to go to the point that we hit Dick Tracy level of effects, right? I mean, it's going to be. If they could, you can only go full flat top once. And it's already happened. So <laughs> Dick Tracy, the the pinnacle of visual effects. <laughs> I mean, dude, for its time, was kind of amazing. I I don't think I saw it. I can't remember if I did or if I did. Um. So part of me says don't, but anyway. The thing <laughs> I really liked is when Frank was off his leash in episode three. Of course. And I liked when, uh, uh, God, what, what was his name? Um, the, the really Ogden? heavy, the really heavy, uh, uh deputy. Yeah. And who was talking to, uh, Ogden's brother and he was like, you've ever seen those old Westerns? That was a little on the nose. Dude, but you're seeing the Punisher go around punishing people in front of your face. What else are you going to say? Well, I mean, well, they haven't seen that. The The one thing that I didn't like about Episode 3, and, and I know we've jumped the gun over a lot of what happened in Episode 2, was how how on the nose a lot of that stuff was. You know, especially as far as the, not so much the sheriff, but his crew. You know, you have Ogden, who's the, the optimistic guy who remembers the oath he took to be a cop and even though he gets hurt he's gonna still stand by and do the right thing and all even that arrested stuff. his own brother yep you had murphy who was the 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 female deputy who didn't trust anybody and was trying to be the voice of reason and hey sheriff let's just give these people over and you know trying to make sure that they protect ourselves then you had the big guy who was at the end of it, was like anybody hungry? I'm hungry. Can you want? Can we get something to eat? And it's like that. That was too on the nose for me, and it took me out of a lot of of the episode for me, unfortunately. Yeah, but I and didn't what was this. unusual to me was the the side character for side characters, right? I mean, these were were bottle episode characters, mm-hmm. and they all lived, right? There was there was no casual. I mean, 
yeah, okay, Ogden took a bullet, but but overall there was no, you know, permanent uh casualties. And that's that's kind of unusual when when Frank rolls through. So well, the whole point yeah, if this if this was the Doctor Who based under siege story, everybody'd be dead except the doctor and his companions. But in this case, everybody lives basically. Well the whole point was to give Frank a clean out. Right. Right. Frank could have walked away at that point, right? Because remember, the sheriff came in and said, you know, there's a scenario where you were never here and you don't go with her. Yeah, but at that point, he probably wouldn't have left Rachel behind. You know, got too much invested. He could have so taken far. Rachel too, but. Um, right, but he wasn't going to leave with Billy being a possibility out there too. So. Yeah. Well, he didn't know also, that yet. Oh, no, he did. He, he did. did. That's why Madonna came. Right, and that's why Madani, like, it's her sin, right? Because there are many ways to take about Billy Russo loose in the streets, but bringing Frank Castle in means a blood, like, that is just going to be a bloodbath. There is no second way about it. Hmm. Right. Yeah, it takes a killer to catch a killer. Well, yeah. I mean, there's also the New York PD and everything else, but she she brought in the she brought back the Punisher to punish Billy. Well, that's where her headspace is still at. So yeah, yeah. But I mean, she took the nuclear option. She took the most violent yeah. option. <laughs> you know. Can Can I go backwards for just a second? Because, like, I know we have we're pitting um, Frank versus Billy. But this whole John Pilgrim thing, I can't not get around because obviously he's going to be a big part of this because he's tied to Rachel is, I think, her name, but it's not her name. Um, well, that, yeah, because name. the sheriff, when he's interrogating her, goes down the list and is like, is it Rachel or is it this name or is it this name? And I did like how the sheriff played off of... Uh, off Rachel and even off of Frank to the extent of he knows he's in over his head but even so he's not an idiot he's a solid character that that actually has like real like back and forth with all of our characters that we kind of know but going going a little bit further to the antagonist to Rachel is John Pilgrim and this whole background with Corbin Birdson of all people and that, you know, he's got these, I'm, I'm just going to kind of front load this a little bit. He's got these German tattoos. He's got an iron cross. He's got a skull with a German helmet and something on his back that's completely like they, he's obviously had some sort of surgery to, to eliminate the tattoo. My but, guess is that's a German war eagle. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. He's but obviously he was some kind of neo-Nazi that has been. Okay, we're going to, we'll assume that. But the, the 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 church that they're in now again, and I think Eric had in his notes about this. And Eric, I'm sorry for stamping on mm. this. So this, nope, this go, is go right you, you, okay. But this trope of that the the religion is the enemy or this adversarial component. But like it seems like this church has like a lot of people that are on oxygen, almost including his wife. And so I'm wondering, like, in my mind, my mind wandered that they were in West Virginia in this, this some sort of coal miner situation where everybody in this town somehow is getting ill. Now, they happen to be in Ohio, 
but there's still coal in Ohio. I went to school there. I should know these things. But anyway, the point is there's something obviously wrong with this town that they have banded together and made the town, quote, better. Thoughts, feelings? Eric, this is where you can lay down. Yeah. That was the other part of that episode that kind of rubbed me the wrong way in you have the whole evangelical slash Baptist. We don't know the actual denomination uh, of these makes, you know, the tropish simpler people who, like you said, Mose are, they're dealing with their own struggles. And of course we have the wealthy benefactors who come in and make it all better, but Mm -hmm. they've got their own ulterior motives. It's like, this is stuff that is, freshly trodden trope ground that we've seen quite a bit over the last couple of years. Um, And to figure out how that ties Pilgrim into the rest of the story and how that connects him to Rachel, because we know it's through the photo she's carrying around, but we still don't have enough information to figure out what the full extent of that link is. And are they film canisters? Because I remember seeing that at the end of episode three, that they're yeah. film canisters. They, they are film yep. canisters. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like old school film. Yeah. Um, so, so it's probably something to deal with. To deal with the Schultzes, you know, like they're behind it because they they basically, you know, almost kind of bribed or forced Pilgrim. You know, I guess because they're giving his wife the drugs, that experimental drugs that he's talking about, health okay. condition, and they kind of like force him to be like, so you know, we we got this thing for you to go take care of. You know? Right. And he was kind of basically. Pilgrim is the dog at the end of their leash. Just like Frank is currently now the dog at the end of Madani's leash. Yeah, but the thing that bothers me about Pilgrim, right, is, okay, I get the, uh, please don't use profanity around me. Right? That, that makes sense. But him just casually killing his own people, that, I can't reconcile that with that character. See, I don't think they were his own people. That's that's the difference. I mean, they were working for him regardless. They were contracted by him. Like, just like you had said at the opening, you know, and this really kind of bothered me, is like, all of a sudden we have Hicks that are a part of... I mean, I say that in, in all due respect, to be honest with you, because I, I don't understand, like, they were using basically like Spec Ops Mercs, at the beginning of episode one, now they switch over to, well, we're just gonna we're gonna get some hillbillies from Ohio to help us out. I thought that was weird. I yeah, thought so that you was called weird. Called the state militia to to take part in it. Yeah, I thought that was weird too, right? And even if you don't want to call them Hicks, it like you went from exquisitely equipped people with yes. great tactics to like people with hunting rifles and you know whatever you'd expect from like rural people, which isn't a down... Like, I'm not degrading it, but, like, it's... They had people who well, were taking long-distance shots at that police station with shotguns with as shotguns, if that yeah, was, was actually going to do something. And they were I, I in bring that up, flannel yeah. and, like, trucker caps and stuff, right? Like... I, I, th- yeah, I think what you've got there... Mix of, it's not a mix of people, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think what you've got there is they were trying to... Sh- to and maybe I'm just giving them more credit than they did, but I'm assuming that this was a... a short notice thing. And so, whereas mm-hmm. the contractors were people that they had, you know, had time to bring in and, and were tracking Rachel already and that kind of thing. 
This is, okay, I'm in this town, you know, Larkville, and I've already got people here. I'm going to activate these. They're not spec ops, but they're what I have within, you know, 30 minutes notice. Yeah. And so I think that's what they were getting at. And again, maybe I'm giving them more credit, but I think it also shows how big their reach is, because not only do they have this state police officer on their payroll, but they've got the ability to just activate this, you know, militia, uh, you know, like you said, hick as it is, they've got this militia within a half hour to an hour of knowing where they're at. And, you know, again, that that's what I read it as. One thing I did like is once Ogden got hit, I liked how quickly that started the clock. Yes. Where... Yeah. You saw him get out to the car, try to drive out, and there wasn't a big thing. It was just you saw you saw him get hit, but from the perspective of the people inside, you just see the car roll up and hit the back of the truck, and then they have to go get him. Yeah, it was a very... And as soon as they go get him, you have that conversation between the sheriff and Pilgrim where he says to him, you know, your guy's got two, maybe three hours tops. Give us what we want, and we'll let him go. Otherwise, we're coming. And then you have the whole assault on Precinct 13, uh, Punisher style. Mm -hmm. Well, they have a traditional parlay. Which was kind of cool, to be honest with you. That was was actually interesting. It added to the tension, which I I enjoyed. But again, Marble Mouth kind of flubs it for me. There's something about John Pilgrim I just can't get into yet. Yeah, I mean, and, he's, and just he's to, got definitely interesting morals because obviously he, he he respects the sheriff and I guess he gave them the opportunity of like, look, I wounded your guy. This is your chance to get your people out. Just leave Frank and the girl, and you all can leave. And you know, so there's some kind of what, interesting moral, not amoral thing going on with Pilgrim. Definitely, yes. Well, and he one takes thing down I, the lady assassin too, which kind of irked me because I hope one, I hope she'd be around longer. And two, to the point we made in episode one, we get to see that she's another victim of his badly applied choke. Oh my gosh. Don't even dude get must have, started. He must have four arms of steel to be able to make sure he can put these, somebody these down are the like worst, that. These are the worst triangles I've ever seen. Something I find so I, I found really funny is when like uh she and Frank were alone and she's like, Really? Was it just really just wrong place, wrong time? <laughs> Going back to Pilgrim for just a second, though, um, one thing I did want to point out is as religious as they're playing him, there are some religions that, you know, you have a very strict set of things you can use and how you have to act at home. Mm -hmm. But if when you're actually in the work environment, there are exceptions made for things you can do. You can use power. You can use different conveniences that you're not allowed at home. And that that so I kind of bought it into as, you know. It, because it's part of his job, he's allowed to go out and do these things that, again, it, not saying it's a normal mental behavior, but in his mind, because he's on the job, these are things he can do, whereas at home, family life, they're not part of it. It's a walled-off separation. Yeah, I mean, as as someone who lives out here in rural Pennsylvania, next to the Amish, literally, like, next door, almost, yeah, they, you know, they they have one way on the farm, and then when they're out working, like, you know, they, they can use power tools and things like that, you know, and it's not violating anything. Yeah, I mean, but but think, yeah, I think that that, that that's, I mean, I when I went to I went to university in Ashland, which was right dead set in Amish territory, and but like the idea the that the, this is not your world, so you have the ability to act 
as not the world that we want, but the world that is. So you have that convenience, if if you will. That's it's a horrible way of saying it, I know. But um, you know, when when we are inside our territory, this can happen. When you are outside with the outsiders, with with the the goim, if you will, you can you can you can do as the as they do. Yeah, I mean, I don't know really the full extent of of how. And they don't really make a big deal of, about how Mennonite they might be, or, or what have you. I mean, obviously Pilgrim has a totally different connection to why he does what he does than anybody else who's going to be involved in this. So, you know, those tattoos are there for a reason, which signify an entirely different life that we're only finding out about now, but to see how far that pendulum has swung from what we know that trope to be to what this version of this character is going to be now. Yeah, I mean, the extreme is there, but you know, I'm still curious to see just what his full role is going to be as the season lays itself out. I can see why this, this season was kind of crapped on at the time. And I, I try not to bring politics into this stuff guys i'm 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 being honest with you, but um I can see where they were doing the twenty sixteen Trump thing, which is these are the people that we had to fear because they're the ones that actually voted and and made things happen but you know it, i i don't I don't want to go down that path, but like there's kind of some some sniffables, if you will, that's like you know. We're all people. We all believe the same way. But like for some reason, these people are not the same as others. And it's just like, you know, and this God-fearing man happens to have what, you know, as best can be conceived as neo-Nazi tattoos. Yeah, I mean, at least it's not like another, you know, rogue government agency or, you know, rogue, you know, secret police thing. that you know, Totally so it's, it's different. It's a, it's a different trope, but at least it's a different trope. So. Yes. But they make it pretty clear that those are ejected neo-Nazi tattoos. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a spurned trope. So The one thing I really liked was when Push really started coming to shove and Frank basically made the case that there's only one real fighter among you. Right. Well, and even how the they were skeptical of that because at that point, remember, he had hurt his hand. Yeah, but he so was they were like, that, you know, like, what what can what can you with one good hand do against everybody who's out there when we're you know trained law enforcement officials and all that stuff and you know and Frank even at that point had to go basically do what he does in front of them to make them understand. Oh, okay. Even well, a one-handed Punisher is better than all of them. Well, my point wasn't so much that. It was, um, remember, like, he had respect for the sheriff, right? As someone who... Well, well, he was ex-military, too, so at least he knew how yeah. to use a gun, whereas the rest of them probably never even fired their guns. That's when he told the lady, and like, the have thing- you ever even fired your weapon? And, like, everyone kind of... Shut up after that. 
But he also showed, you know, some compassion and sympathizing with them when when he was talking to um, Ogden. You know, Ogden was still standing and he was trying to talk him down and he he didn't just belittle him. He, you know, you did a great job. You did good. He basically went Marine on him and gave him, you know, almost like a, a senior officer bringing him down. And I thought that was really well played. Well, yeah, those are two different things. He was playing two different roles, right? Like Ogden did his part. He was brave, but he had to stand down, right? Yeah, I just always I always like when they make a point to show that he's, you know, does have the ability to be sympathetic and not just the aggressive punisher. I think that's that's always a good showing. So Agreed. Well, it plays back to how we saw Frank in episode one with Beth the bartender and her son. You know, where we got to see a different side of Frank in how you know what we see the when he's in full punisher mode, that's it's like any other of these shows where we're like, okay, when we get to see Daredevil as Daredevil, that's what we're paying to see. When we see Luke Cage being Luke Cage, that's what we're paying to see. Mm-hmm. You know, when we get to see Frank as the Punisher, it's like, well, you know, you're just feeding what we're what we're tuning in to to get a load of. But understanding that they have to try and give Frank a bit more dimensionality than just when he's got a gun in his hand and a skull across his chest to be able to let him have those moments of where he can take a breath and thereby we can take a breath and remember oh by the way this is actually a a human being and not just some blunt instrument that is going out doing what he does indiscriminately then yeah we need those moments as an audience we need those it's usually those moments that get him in trouble right I mean when he's in full punisher mode that's usually when he's winning it's when he is being protective, when he goes out of his way to help Rachel, when he goes out of his way to, you know, go back and visit, um, I forget the, the bartender's name, but you get the point. You know, those are the times that, that the decisions that he makes when he's, you know, thinking with, with his, you know, heart and being human that he gets himself in trouble. Right. Well, and like Sean had mentioned earlier, that sequence with um, the lady assassin in the cell where she says to him, you know, it was really just wrong place wrong time and he says yeah if you had been anywhere else in the world we wouldn't have had this run in and we wouldn't be in this boat right now lady but you came to my bar where i was and this is on you essentially it, and he tells rachel you know if it had been a guy if you if it had been somebody that he didn't feel the need to protect he might have let it go you know the, it was yeah the humanism of frank I th- I think that's what I think if anything has done the Punisher well in two years is that that we've been allowed to see f- a Frank Castle, not just the Punisher. And the same thing with Daredevil. You've been allowed to see Matt versus Daredevil. Right. Which really is at the core of what Marvel stuff is about. I mean, yes. we, we've known this forever. What's the whole thing with Spider-Man's? The the whole point of Spidey is that he's Peter Parker who has right. all these problems, yes. but he can also crawl up walls and swing from webs. People always forget about Frank. Well, they forget about that with a lot of people in mm-hmm. a lot of characters in the Marvel Universe. We don't think about that with, like, the Avengers. We don't worry about that sort of stuff. We don't worry about that with, with Frank. We don't worry about it. But, but we, f- are, we allow for that with characters that we have that sort of emotional connection with. But... That is the foundation that Marvel has built everything that they've ever done on, of trying to make, yes, you have a guy who 
at his core is maximum carnage in everything he does. He doesn't just go in halfway. He goes full bore because that's who Frank Castle is. And if there's one thing I do really like about that's carried over from season one to season two, it's that the differentiation between when Frank goes off the leash, as we've been saying, as opposed to when Matt Murdock goes off the leash. You know, as much as I love the fight sequences and the choreography and everything of Daredevil, uh, especially in those long take shots that we saw so often, when Frank goes off, it is just, he is the straight line between two points. And we see that in episode three, when he goes out and he starts going through the woods, picking everybody off, there's no wasted motion, there's nothing inefficient, it's just straight line, boom, 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 Mm -hmm. go. And he just goes through everybody. Which, by contrast to stuff from like Iron Fist or um, Daredevil, or even to an extent Luke Cage. I mean, Luke Cage is another blunt instrument, but that's because he's a different type of blunt instrument. I mean, it comes down to their philosophy, right? Frank's philosophy is, if there's a threat, eliminate it. As quickly and easily as possible so that they're no longer a threat. I see, I, I, I want to agree with that statement completely. But the way in which they've set him up in the visual universe is not quite that. It's almost like Frank has to build almost Hulk-like. Does that make sense? I yeah. disagree. The minute a person pulls a gun on an innocent, their life is forfeit in Frank's world. Okay. I mean, can I you disagree that. with that? I, I can't. I can't. No. But also, when... Like, going back to episode one, when he has that standoff with the guy in the bar who's harassing Beth the bartender, you know, he cracks a, a bottle over the bar... That can mess you up pretty quickly, and all he does is he takes his head and spikes it off the bar. Yeah, he removed the threat. He didn't... He removed the threat, but he didn't... I mean, that wasn't a threat that required to be killed, right? I'm not saying he goes overboard. I'm saying he he removed the threat with extreme prejudice. Right. But like Mose was saying, there's enough of a variation there where when we know Frank is going to go full Punisher... We know it. It's not subtle. Yeah, and if that guy in much the same way that we know when, when pulled the pistol, right? But in much the same way we know when Bruce Banner is going to go full Hulk, it's not going to be subtle either. He's just going to go right. It's not. It's yeah. It's not subtle Hulk. Well, now it is. It's it's you know a completely different Hulk at this point. Yeah, post I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go there. But frankly, like you know, it, it's just different. Say it again. Sean. I said I like Professor Hulk. I know you do, but that's but you know, but but for people who like a complete engine of destruction Hulk, it it's jarring. You know, it it's not a very polar thing. It, they they put it into the middle and so, you know, he he's got his brains, but he's also got his brawn, which is which is different. Right, but in Frank's case, one of the things that, and I, I 
forgot about it the first time I watched it, but when we, in prepping for this episode, after it's all done and he's put down all Pilgrim's guys and you see the helicopter fly over and you have that quick standoff between Pilgrim and Punisher, where do we see Frank next as the, the chopper's coming in? He's just sitting there on the sidewalk with his gun right on his knee, just basically like, all right, well, cavalry finally showed up. Yeah. You know, Frank could have, at that point, he could have gone anywhere. We had different points throughout the episode where where you saw Rachel grab the keys to one of the cars and show Frank, and even Frank was like, nope, not smart. That but was interesting. At, that at was that a point, very interesting scene. Right. And then when you think he's gone through all these people and the sheriff and his people probably couldn't do anything to stop Frank at that point, but Frank's not interested in that. Instead, he's just sitting there on the sidewalk, just like, so what are you guys been up to tonight? How do you cover that up? Like, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be this guy, but how do you say, oh, this never happened? Like, you had a guy that got shot, and you definitely have bodies in the woods. Like, how do you just say, yep, Pete Castiglione was never here? Well, well I, I'm taking it that Homeland's going to but, but come in and do some big government cleanup, right? I mean, that's what you're led to believe, is that Homeland's going to be the one to kind of... Yeah, because now you have the, the vast government conspiracy now swoops in and, and covers up what just happened. So. Well, Eric, you also you have that kind of thing, something right? that happens in the middle of the <laughs> woods. Nobody particularly wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to keep it quiet, and no one's making a fuss, right? So it's not exactly the hardest but it, thing. It, it, it's not... It, it, yeah, but it's not like it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's a small town, but still it's a town. So, I mean, somebody at, you know, midnight probably heard a crap ton of gunshots yeah. and just, oh, oh, well, you know, go back to bed, honey, you know. Well, you think about the woman at the hotel who called the cops in the first place after the shootout there. You think about, you know, she's got to be sitting there thinking, oh, my God, what did they do to my hotel? And then the next thing you know, you a couple blocks over, you hear World War Three break out. And it's like... You know, they're going to have to, whatever, whatever they're going to have to do, they're going to have to pay her at least double. There was a lot of big deer just down the road. So, you know, all the hunters were, were all out. Yeah. The deer with the crowbars. Mm -hmm. So now we're to the point where we know that Frank is heading back to New York. We know Billy's out. We know Madonna's going to be looking for him, and she's got not just Frank, but Frank has Rachel, which means the Pilgrim is going to be most likely coming after that as well. So what do we think is going to be happening in episode four? I can't think that John Pilgrim is going to be comfortable working inside. And this is just me. He, we, I, we've set his character as basically very rural and chopping wood. I don't see where the the city sa- cityscape is going to be his comfort zone. Oh, he'd be totally out of his element there. I, you would think. Now, if that changes, I'm going to be very curious. Right. So what you're saying is he's going to need to contract with some, I don't know, uh, ex-mercenary... Uh, Skilled assassin type guy that, is that where may that have happens? just broken out. Is that I don't what happens? That's that's what I'm seeing. They've okay. got to team up somehow. Or we'll see how much reach these Schultz people have if they have any people in the big cities versus the rural areas. 
What did they do that was so good in that town? Did they get rid of coal? They never really said. That that was never they didn't elaborate on it. And we may not find out. I don't know. It was just that they're the wealthy benefactors of the town, therefore they have all the pull. I'm gonna butcher this, but they did though I I can't remember her name. Powerful actress who is the 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 wife of um Corbin Burton? Yes. That's Annette O'Toole. There we go. Yeah. Uh daughter of Peter O'Toole? Uh I don't know if there's any relation or not. Okay. But um I'm going to assume that that somehow they did they, they, she said something to the effect of you have neighbors and then you have like a brotherhood or like I can't I, again I'm 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 at a loss for it. I should have written it down. But there was something to that that I found you know kind of like like the world that we're in now where like you don't really know your neighbor and like you you have a you have a you have a town but but to to actually know people and to relate to them is very powerful and just in a on a on a on a human level and it was it was like I was kind of buying into it to be to be honest with you because I remember that I remember that time in my life where you knew your neighbor and like you could go to them I was like, hmm, that's, is that, is that bad? No, I think it's, if anything, it just shows the divide between, between the worlds we have now. Yeah. Where you have that urban environment where everybody's so disconnected from each other. And then you have the supposedly rural backdrop of all that, where everybody's so integrated and you don't, because you don't have technology, things are much more, I don't want to say simplified, but... They're more traditional, mm-hmm. and you have that connection to things like religion and community and people looking out for each other, and that's what separates us from the soulless masses who occupy all these big cities with all their technology and everything, but they're godless and they're lawless and they're lost and, and all that. So they're playing very much on those well-established social, political, economical divides that we have mm. and we've had for a long time in this country. But some of it is coming off much more ham-fisted to me in how it's being delivered than in other aspects of it per se. I agree with you completely. And I think it's more just them corrupting even the most basic good parts of society, right? Like, they've corrupted that town down to even just individual friendship. Right, but to them, would they see it as that they've corrupted it, or have they somehow managed to save it? Mm. No, the Schultzes know full and well what they're doing. You mean, like, if if they're playing the town to get what they want out of them and acting like they're part of them. Maybe. Yeah. They're, they're laughing at them behind their backs. Okay. So do we see them later in the season? Yes. They are not a, yeah. their, their role in this does not end in this episode. Okay. I figure if you got to put Corbin Birdson and, and, and O'Toole in there, then... who is not related to Peter O'Toole, by the way. Okay. Good. Good to know. Yeah, because yeah, there's I, something in that film canisters that they want, whatever that is. It's it's worth killing people, lots of people over. So that 
something very important what they're what they're looking for yeah i'm in on the the conspiracy that they're there's more to them and they're they're playing the town but there's gonna be some other shoe that drops and it's gonna be much bigger than there's something in that town they want and they're not really there for the town itself there's something with those oxygen masks i guarantee it that just seems so bizarre well, right, you know, but I think say... the focus for right now, obviously, with the end of episode three, is the focus is now going to shift to Billy, and how is that going to start getting to be resolved, I think, before we get back around to what happens with the Schultzes. Mm. You know, they say there's only two things that can end a political career. Which are? Yeah. Being caught with a live boy or a dead girl. Wait, say it again? The only two things that can end a man's political career are being caught by with a live boy or a dead girl. Hmm. So you're saying that the photographs are probably incriminating of some kind is messing with their plans? Yes. Always as cryptic as ever. <laughs> Blackmail is a good reason for uh, most things. And well, I mean, cash, look, yeah. I mean that. Okay, you know, Eric, it, you are you are my 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 trope um, bookmark, and <laughs> he he's already alluding to without alluding to that there is something you know, especially you know when we see a floppy disk, a hard drive, a thumb drive, whatever it might be. That it's it's it, it's some sort of blackmail, something that they don't want to get out. They're being pious, and to be pious is always to be uh, picked at or scrutinized. Yeah, because everyone wants to bring down people who, who seem like they're more holier than thou, and that they aren't. They're you know they're perfect and everything right. together, when right. they really don't, and right. they're hiding something maybe or not, or they what? just want to bring bring someone down that is in power. For you know, whatever reason, why is that our nature? Jealousy? I don't know. If people, Cause, it's like you know, you always want what your neighbor has or what your friend has. You uh, know, you always covet. You know, covet what you know you don't have. Uh, to quote the immortal Doctor Cox, humans are bastard-coated bastards with bastard filling. Well, and it goes to the whole idea of. Biting the hand that feeds you. Yeah. You know, we have the people who, again, we have the people who think they're so much further above us on one level or another. And especially nowadays, when you think about how, in the social media era, we create celebrity at a millisecond pace just to turn around and, and cancel, cancel culture them out. them out. Yeah. The second they step out of line and say anything that we don't like. Or do anything that we don't like. It's, oh, how dare you? And then we just cancel them out. You know, if anything, that whole machinery has been accelerated to a ridiculous pace. But it just, again, plays on our human nature of we want what the other person has, but we want to live vicariously through them at the same time. And this is why we chose to cover this later. We didn't know at the time. We wanted to cover it right when it was coming out, but we chose to wait because there's context in, in what we watch. 
And sometimes you got to give yourself a little bit of breathing room before we can actually make, uh, well, our, our, throw our, our gavel down on was it good or was it not good? I will say, for me, these two episodes back to back are fantastic. Um, I say fantastic a little, a little, a little heavy-handedly, but I really feel like these two episodes combined well together. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I'm, I'm hoping we get more of this flow through the season, especially because if I remember right, it's only ten episodes, so they they yeah, there's not a whole lot of there's not a lot of fat that they can trim off of it by adding additional stuff. You know, again, which makes me wonder what the, the ultimate role the Schultzes are going to play in it, how they're going to get there with everything that they've got to get to with Russo's storyline first. Yeah, we'll see if there's like the uh, midway Marvel series fatigue or not, or if they can keep it going. Speaking of which, have we heard, like, I'm going to go side note, just like I did with Daredevil a little bit. Um, because we're a little further out, we're getting to that two-year mark of where the Netflix MCU can can now cross-mingle into Disneyland. Um, I've heard things that potentially we may have a Punisher film on the horizon, or at least in talks. Don't know. I haven't seen anything in the pipeline talking about it yet. The last thing I had heard was the idea of it jumping platforms to say like Hulu or something away from Netflix. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing is 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 these these particular types of shows, the Netflix shows, are going to jump over to Hulu rather than Disney Plus. Right. Well, um, they've already said that. Their R-rated stuff is going to go to um, FX, which will be on Hulu. Interesting. Um, yeah, and the, and the Punisher can't go on, on Disney Plus. It just that's just not the genre, not the style for yeah, that. I don't well, think so, yeah, it would, have, it would have to go to Hulu. Yeah, there are right. like, well, the Netflix shows that are currently out will never not be on Netflix. Right, because they own most of their part, you know, they're part yeah. owners of it. Right? They may also be on something else, but they'll never not be on Netflix. Um, the one thing that I've heard most prominently on it is that if there is a reason to bring it back, it is purely because the reaction to John Bernthal as Frank has been so positive, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I'm in full agreement about because. Honestly, again, we've seen three other variations of the Punisher to this point, not including John Bernthal. And he's hands down the best version of him that I've come across. I didn't think that I would like him. I'll I'll be flat out, like, even though I was a big fan of the Shane character, I didn't know. And until I heard an interview on Joey Diaz's uh, podcast, The Church of What's Happening Now, with John Bernthal, like I really kind of said, this guy is legit. He is the real deal. And I, and I, I appreciate him as a person, as an actor to what he can bring to something. 
So I've heard rumors that uh, John Bernthal, Michael Cox, and Christina Ricci are in talks to reprise their characters in future Marvel projects. But that wait, my- oh wait, Christina Ricci. Or you mean Kristen Ritter? Kristen Ritter. I said Christina Ricci. Okay. Didn't I? Sorry, I I didn't mean to throw you to like that. I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. But that yeah, I mean, I've heard lots of things that they, they almost they almost have um, Daredevil season four basically locked down. Like they have got most of the people either signed or available, which would be interesting if they do that. But that Mike Finn and or what's his name Finn played Iron Fist and Mike Coulter Finn, Finn Jones Finn Jones yeah and Mike Coulter They're are cut. not under consideration yeah which yeah. Finn Jones can go I don't really care but Mike Coulter come on. I totally agree, but he got he got signed to another thing, that fear show. Yeah, he's doing evil on uh, evil. CBS. Evil, that's right. Yeah, him and Missy Knight are locked up on CBS yep. shows. Yep. So they're, they're out. Although, I was, so, not, so is Bullseye. Yeah. Yep. Although I was watching oh, really? an interview with the actress who played Misty in, uh, the other day, and she talked about how much she misses playing her. And if she got the chance to play her again, she'd do it in a heartbeat. I think I think a solo show with Misty Knight would be fantastic, and no one would bat an eye to it. If it was written well and done like a detective show, I think it would be absolutely tremendous. Well, and if they took... I mean, Marvel did that to an extent, where they did a... Um, they did a team-up with Misty and Colleen Wing. Uh, they Dark did a comic Dragon. series of yeah. that. I mean, Misty... Uh, yeah. Misty shows up all over the place, right? She's not a. She is absolutely not a. Uh, uh, no, she's not an exclusive character mm-hmm. by any stretch. You know, if they did stuff with, I could, I could foresee something where if they did with her what they did with, uh, with Rosario Dawson's character Claire the Night Nurse. Yes, Go and ahead. interject her a difference that would work just fine for me. Kind of like with they did with Mahoney, who shows up everywhere. Yeah, and I can see that too. Yeah, I, that would be interesting. I Mahoney and Misty Knight. That would be I. I could get behind that. Yeah, I totally did forget about the fact that Mahoney even showed up in this episode. I was like, wait a minute, he looks familiar. Then I realized, oh my god, he was a Daredevil. Well, yeah, I marked that as the one. Yeah, you know thing that ties Frank right now into the main Netflix universe is that Mahoney crossed over. Yeah, well, Mahoney's the one who uh, got his got out of his uniform into detective role because he caught Frank the first time. Is that why he got his promotion? Yeah, remember uh, Matt like Matt ties up Frank and gives him to Mahoney and says, go take your promotion. Ah, there it is. And now Frank's coming back to town to shoot up the town, so we'll see if uh, Frank and Mahoney meet up again. Sure they will. How cool would it be if, well, see, timeline-wise, I'm a little confused. It would be interesting if Daredevil was going to be a part of this this series. I know he's not. I know he's not. But it would be interesting, to, to say the least. Well, given the relationship they had in season two of Daredevil, to have a tie back to that in some way would have been cool. But I don't know, again, since we're trying to figure out how this season's going to go, 
would that have been something extraneous given what they needed to tie up? Well, let's not forget how close Frank and Miss Page are. Ooh, okay. Yeah, we we have ten more episodes for some more cameos or some other appearances. I'd I'd accept. Uh, yeah, I I would accept. I I would take Karen first over over Matt for sure. And with that, we've gone. We've we've given you the side road. We've given you a little bit of 2020 information based on a 2018 series, or is it 2019? 2018. 19. It was okay. late 2018, wasn't it? Okay. I, th- I think so. I mean, we've, we've waited a while, but, you know, we've, we've given it a lot of breath. But here we are, episode two and three. Highly recommend these two episodes, especially leading into episode one. And this is what I like. I like stuff that builds and gives me a reason to keep watching. Now, that said, Personally, I didn't keep watching, and we are now venturing into very much unknown territory. I didn't see this. I didn't finish it. It's a problem, but I'm here with the best people I know to finish something with and to actually talk about it in a very concrete way. And so I thank you. Devin Higgins. So at some point, we're going to have to address the glaring hole in the world, which is that hole in the wall between the hotel rooms. Well, construction is never an easy thing, but I can tell you that somebody would have put up a stink. And those two worlds are where, where we align. It just, it, it's, it's a symbolism thing, right? Maybe? Indeed. Okay. I thank Devin Higgins. I thank Sean Shibley, Jason Johnson, Eric Scott. Wow. We've gotten through two more. Are we ready for more? Bring it on. Okay. Ladies and gents, thank you so much. We'll see you next time.